0: all right you guys hear me okay all right it's coming through thank you julie uh, so much for sharing your stories just so honestly and so vulnerably how god is working in your life and it's encouraging to all of us to hear that um, good morning church uh, my name is caitlin i'm the worship director here at clc and i have the privilege to share with you this morning and it's good to see you all it's good to see you Now, church, today we are going to be continuing on in our series, Come and See, where we've heard many powerful stories from the Bible, stories of people who were invited to come and see and experience the unconditional love of God. The very first week of our series, Pastor Ben kicked us off by introducing us to Nathaniel, a man who was skeptical about Jesus but he was invited to come and see. And in that encounter, he met the hope of the world who would show him greater things than these. The following week, we looked at the parable of the lost son, uh, who in his desire for wealth, for independence and adventure, uh, demanded his inheritance from his father, rejected him and left home. And yet when everything had failed him, the son came home and saw his father running to him with open arms, ready to receive him back. It doesn't matter what he did. He was invited to come home. Last week at our church picnic, if you were there, Pastor Calvin posed a very important question for us. He said, have you eaten yet? He invited us to come and see the radical hospitality of Jesus' love to his disciples in John chapter 21, and he challenged us to go and do the same, show that same love to the people in our lives. Now let me ask you one question. In all of these stories, who is the main character? A few years ago when I was... uh, I was in college. I ent- attended a winter uh, retreat for my Christian fellowship. And, you know, on the very first night, the speaker gets up there, and he just looks at us, and he asks us, If I were to ask you who the main character of, in the book of Daniel was, who would you say? you know where this is going. Here we are, you know, we're college students and we think we're very smart and we're confident. So we're just shouting out, you know, well Daniel, of course. He keeps going. He's like, "Okay, well, what about what about the book of Job?" Job. <laughs> and Joshua? Joshua, of course. Let me tell you, we're we're sounding pretty confident at this point, right? and we go through a few more rounds of that, and we get a few harder ones, like, what about the Psalms? What about numbers? (laughs) You know, the ones that don't have the answer just right in the title, (laughs) and it gets really quiet. And the speaker smiles, and he very kindly and very gently lets us know that if this were a test, we probably would have failed. (laughs) Why? Because in each of these stories who is the main character? Who is the hero of the story? It's the Sunday school answer, and it's, it's right. It's God. It is always God. Now, I say that because in this series, yes, we are exploring and hearing different stories in the Bible, right? Nathaniel's story, the son's story, the disciple's story. But in each of these, We can't forget the main character is still always God. And so that's why today, as we dive into yet another person's story, I'm inviting you to come and see two things. Number one, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about how God loves people? And number two, how can I share this love with the people around me? Okay, very simple. Two things that we're going to do this morning. Number one, what do I learn about how God loves people? And number two, how can I share this love with the people around me? Now today we're, we're going to be diving in, if you haven't guessed already from Julie's story, into the book of John chapter 4. And I simply want to tell you the story of a woman from the place called Samaria. Now, for some context, at this time in Jesus's ministry, uh, things are happening. Things are starting to happen. Jesus's disciples, they start baptizing people, more and more people. And he's gaining traction. He's gaining a little bit of attention. His name is being spread. And, you know, it starts to get to a point where it really, really irks the religious people. It irks the the Pharisees. They don't like what's going on. And so Jesus decides to leave this place, leave Judea, and go back to Galilee. Now, if you look in the text, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Had to go. Now, this is very interesting because at that time, it was well established that any self-respecting Jew would not go through Samaria. Samaria. You guys can look at that map right there. Most Jews would actually, if they were down in the south in Judea, they would go to the Jordan River. They'd go up along the river and then arrive in Galilee. And maybe, sure, maybe this was partly easier because it's easier to travel along the river, but mostly it was because they hated going through Samaria. Samaria. They hated going through Samaria, and so they would try to avoid that path path at all costs, even if it meant going all the way around. But it says here, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, and he went straight to a city called Sychar. And why? Well, because there was someone in Samaria that he needed to meet and so he comes into the city at noon, at high noon, in the middle of the day. And, you know, at this point, his disciples, they're tired, they're hungry, so they go out, I mean, they, they go out, leave him, they get some food, and Jesus is by himself, and he's thirsty. And he's tired from traveling so long and so far, and so he decides he's going to take a rest at the well. And at the well, he sees a woman. And he asks her, "Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink?" And she is in shock. She's she's just astounded. I mean, just imagine the biggest mouth drop, right? She's like, "What? Me? Me? You're you're talking to me right now? You're a man. I'm a, I'm a woman." That doesn't happen with me. I'm the bottom of the bottom. I'm not treated well. You're a man. I'm a woman. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? This conversation, we are not supposed to be interacting. We're not supposed to be talking. We're not supposed to be having this conversation right now. You see, here's the thing. Remember when I told you that Jews hated going through Samaria? Well, it's not just that they were from different places. There's actually quite a bit of history there, and there's some tension there. Uh, But long story short, basically the Jews treated and considered the Samaritans to be like half-breeds, like dogs. I mean, they were the people, the the, the mixed-race people, right? The people who had sinned in the past, and they intermarried with foreign nations, and they were impure. And so, you know, they had no claim on God whatsoever, they, were sh- they, they, they practiced an impure, half-pagan religion. Jews looked down at Samaritans, and Samaritans weren't so fond of Jews either. So no, no self-respecting Jewish man would ever go to Samaria, let alone talk to a woman. It just, it didn't happen. And yet here we are. Jesus sitting at the well, talking to a Samaritan woman like it's no big deal. Question number one, how does God love people? He crosses barriers. He crosses barriers. He crosses racial, social, political, economic, gender, you name it. He crosses them all just to meet this woman. I mean, how radical is that? Right? Imagine being in our world today, like we know ourselves, we know that we like to be with people who are like us. Right? It's just easier. It's more comfortable. We like to surround ourselves with people who have similar backgrounds, similar interests, lifestyles, political opinions, theology, culture, whatever it is. We like to be with people who are like us. Similar is safe, right? Indifferent is threatening, and so what do we do? We, we just don't associate with those people. We avoid them, right? We, we judge them, maybe not outwardly, but inwardly we judge them, right? We, we take the long route just so we don't have to interact with them, and that's, that's exactly what they did back then too. But what does Jesus do? How does Jesus love? He crosses all of those barriers, And he sits with the woman at the well. God loves people by crossing barriers. Now let's get back to the story. We're at this part. Jesus asked this woman for a drink from the well. Now another quick side note that I thought was pretty interesting is, did you notice what happened here? Did you notice that he asked her for a drink? He asked her. How often do we as Christians, and as Julie was sharing what she did, I I used to do that too, I I still do that sometimes, where we have this tendency to come and think, well, we have the answers, we got the truth, how do I get my point across, how do I make them see, how do I make them see the truth? And very quickly, the person in front of us is no longer a person, uh, but a box we can check or a convert that we can win to our side. Do you see the significance of the fact that before Jesus says anything about what he can offer, and boy, can he offer a lot, he asks her for something. He takes this posture of humility and comes to her for something that he needs, and in one moment, in one question, her dignity is slowly being restored. Her honor is being restored. She matters maybe for the first time ever. Jesus replies in verse 10. He says, If you knew who I was, if you knew the gift of God who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she's like, what? She's confused. Living water? Well, I don't, what are you talking about? And he goes on. He says, well... Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you know what she does? She hears that and she leans in and she's intrigued. And she probably doesn't understand what that means at all, but it sounds good. And she's like, yes, please please give me some of this water that you speak of. Jesus says, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus looks at her and says, I know. You're right, you're right when you say that you have no husband. I mean, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Now, I want to pause right here because I know what we tend to do. I know that our minds are probably immediately jumping to assumptions or conclusions about who this woman was, what her life was like. Oh, she was a sinner. She was a loose woman. She was probably promiscuous, unfaithful. I mean, who's married and divorced five times, right? And we can make all sorts of judgments or assumptions into this woman's life. But I don't think that's the point of the story. And I don't think Jesus thought so either. See, we already know from context that this woman was probably an outcast. She was despised and looked down upon in the very bottom of society. Remember how she's drawing water in the middle of the day at the hottest part of the day, well, that's intentional. She isn't drawing water early in the morning with the other women in the cool of the day when it's probably easier. No, no. She specifically chooses a time where she knows she won't be seen. She won't have to interact with people. She won't have to hear the snickers or the gossip happening behind her back about her because she knows. She knows how they see her. But what's amazing is if you look back at this exchange between Jesus and the woman, there is absolutely no condemnation in Jesus' voice. There is no judgment. There is no shame. He knows all of this about her, right? But there's none of that. There is only love. There's only love. It's like he's saying, I see you. I see you and I know you. I know the things that you have done, and I know the things that have been done to you. I know your pain and your suffering. I know the shame that you have been carrying. I know the isolation and the loneliness. I know the hopelessness that you face. I know I know your past, your present, your future, and I know the deepest desires of your heart. I see you. I know you. I love you and I've come to give you what you've been searching for. That's it. I see you, I know you, and I love you. And what Jesus does so beautifully and intentionally here is that he sees the humanity of the person sitting in front of him. He's simply with her. Before any evangelism happens, before any tracks are passed out or any gospel message pitches are, are thrown out there before any truth is shared, Jesus takes the time to sit with her, to be with her, to see her and make her feel known and loved. Church, how does God love? He sees people with a heart of compassion. Picking up in verse 19 to that, she responds, oh, sir, obviously I can see you're a prophet. You, you know about me. You know everything about me. But still, I mean, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We have different ideas about life and, and God and worship and where we're supposed to do all of that. And, and Jesus just looks at her and Jesus says, you know, there's a time that's coming. And it actually ne- has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He says, all those differences that you, should, that just, none of that matters anymore, you see, you know, because God is a countercultural God. And God is a boundary breaking God, and He's the one who crosses barriers. And so, worship of God and access to God is no longer limited to a particular place or a particular people or a particular style. It's available to all wherever the Spirit of God moves. All you have to do is worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. I know he's coming. And when he comes, he'll, he's going to explain everything to me. When he comes, all that stuff, it, it'll make sense. It'll all be right when he comes. And Jesus, Jesus just said, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. I am He. I am that Messiah. I am the living water that will satisfy your soul. Everything that you've been waiting for, everything that you've been looking for to quench that thirst of yours, I am He. Church, how does God love? He offers living water he offers living water. So what have we learned? How does God love? Number one, he crosses barriers, right? Number two, he sees people with a heart of compassion. And number three, he offers living water. That is what our God does. That is who he is. And just like he did for this woman. As we see in her story, he does the same for you and for me today. He offers the same thing for each of us today. All we got to do is say yes. All right. So we answered question number one. I told you it was simple, right? Question number one, how does God love people? What about question number two? How can I share this love with people around me? Well, you know what, it's pretty cool because the answer to that question is exactly what this woman does, and she does basically what Jesus did, right? So Jesus just does a huge mic drop. He reveals his identity to her, and I love this in verse 28. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The very first thing she does is she drops everything, and she tells everybody. She drops everything she tells everybody. She's so excited. She's so excited. And you know, on the outside, it may have seemed like nothing had changed. I mean, she's still a Samaritan. she's still a woman. She still had a shameful reputation, still an outcast of society, and yet at the same time, one encounter with Jesus and everything had changed. There's no more shame. There's no more fear. No more thirsting after things that will never satisfy her soul. Why? Because she met Jesus. Because she encountered the love of Jesus for herself. And this love... A love so sweet and a love so overwhelming and and compelling and life changing, it compels her to go and share. I mean, she can't contain it, she can't keep it to herself. It begins to flow out of her like a spring of living water. Think about what she did. Think about this. The woman who used to draw water in the middle of the day in the scorching hot sun just to avoid people went straight to the very people who judged her, the very people who condemned her, the people who were probably the most different, the most opposite to her. And she crossed a barrier to get to them. She crossed barriers to reach them. This woman who had found living water for herself did not keep it to herself. She recognized that these people in her town, they're searching for the same thing, the same living water. They're waiting for the same Messiah. And she sees that they're thirsting and and they're thirsting after something that will quench their souls. And she hasn't. So she sees them with that heart of compassion. And with the love of Jesus in her heart, she shares her testimony, her story with them. And she simply invites them to come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She points people to the one who offers living water. You see what happened there? She encountered Jesus for herself, and then she shared him with everyone. And because of her witness, the most unexpected, the most unassuming person becomes the very first evangelist in history, a woman from Samaria. That's the pattern we see all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Gospels. We see people encounter Jesus. They experience firsthand his love, his hope, his grace, his hospitality. And then what do they do? Well, they go and they tell the story. They go and they share. They go and they love other people just like Jesus loved them. That's the point of the series You want to know why we're doing this? That's the point, that we would go and share and love people like Jesus did. Now, if you're anything like me, you might be thinking, well, that's great. That's that's a good story. That's a good application. She's got a good story to tell, and she's bold. But it's just not that easy. I could never do that never, I, I'm not qualified. I don't have the right answers. I'm not eloquent or well-spoken. If I go and try to talk to my coworker or my neighbor or my friend about Jesus, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to go well, and then we're going to have to, you know, do the whole avoiding thing again. Trust me, I know. I know because I have used every single excuse in that book at one point in my life. I get it. The thought of sharing our faith, just taking that that risk is scary. We feel the pressure to have all of the answers. We feel the pressure to maybe have our life together first before we start telling someone else about something. We feel the pressure of having a good and compelling and dramatic story or else it's just not worth telling. Let me ask you, where does that pressure come from? Certainly the woman did not feel any of that because she just went and she told. So where does it come from? Well, church, I think it's because we've misunderstood what we're called to do. We've looked at this story, and along the way we've muddled the application a little bit. Let's go back and let's, let's look. How did this woman go and show love, show God's love to others? Well, she crossed barriers to reach them. She saw people with the compassion of Jesus, and she offered them living water? No, she didn't. She did not offer them living water. She didn't walk into town and say, hey, guys, guess what? Listen to me now, because I now have all the answers about God, so you just got to listen to me. No, no. She said, friends, I have encountered something that is so far beyond my imagination, so far beyond my comprehension. I don't even know, man. I've met someone who could maybe really truly be the Messiah. Would you come and see him with me? She did not offer them living water. She pointed them to the one who is living water. She doesn't try to save people. She invites them to come and see the one who saves. And she doesn't make herself the hero. She simply tells her story and lets God take center stage. That's it. What a beautiful and humble and radical picture of of evangelism that we learn from her. And that's exactly how I think it's supposed to be. Now, for for most of my life growing up, I always struggled um, with the confidence to speak, um, to go out and to share my story. Um, Like I said, I've used every excuse that you can think of. And, you know, I I thought I was insecure. I was shy. I was quiet, not well-spoken. And honestly, it was a little bit awkward. Um, But the biggest thing, the biggest hesitation was I grew up in the church. I didn't feel like I had a good story to tell. Honestly, it felt like it was a little vanilla, a little boring. It wasn't as dramatic or as unique as maybe someone who didn't grow up in a Christian home uh, or maybe someone who um, overcame huge obstacles and you know, were at the lowest moment in life when Jesus came and saved them. I mean, it probably wasn't like that. But I mean, we like those stories, right? I mean, those are the stories that we put up on the stage and we have everyone here. I thought, sure, I kind of have a story. But it's nothing special. It's not compelling or powerful. It's not a good story. And you know, church, I'm sad to say, I think I missed out on a lot of, a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities to share God's love with people to show the people around me that I love them because of those fears. And maybe you have too, but I wanna share something with you, something that I have learned that God has been teaching me over the years. He's been teaching me a little bit something about what makes a good story. I see it all over the Samaritan woman's story as well. You know what I learned? I learned, I learned that a good testimony a good story is not marked by how well you tell it or how smart or eloquent or holy or religious you sound. And it's not marked by how dramatic your life was before or by how put together you think you are now. You know what I learned? I, I, I learned that if the good news is in your story, then it's a good story. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is at the center of your story, it's a powerful story. And if God is the main character in your story, then it's a story worth sharing to the entire world. Simply come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see. Let's pick up in verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this man really is is the Savior of the world. You see that? We no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we have heard it for ourselves, and we now know and can say with confidence that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? Church, our stories, they're powerful. The woman was so instrumental in her witness But ultimately, it is Jesus who saves, and Jesus who satisfies, and Jesus who offers living water. And so our stories must always point to Jesus, always point to him, that people may encounter him, that people may experience the love of God for themselves, and after experiencing it, that they can proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And then you know what they do? Well, now they go, and they invite others to come and see as well. Come and see. Church, as we close, I, I just want to leave you with one question. And it's a question that we'll probably leave, leave you with every, every week of this series. It's who can I invite to come and see the love of Jesus this week? Let's not try to make it any more complicated than that. Let's not add any unnecessary pressure. Simply, who can I invite to come and see the love of Jesus this week? Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you this morning because you are good. You are faithful. You are God. And you are a God who loves so much that you came down to earth. You crossed all the barriers. You left the place of God to be here and be born of a, uh, as a baby, to live this life as a human, to die on that cross for our sins because you loved so deeply, Lord. You are with us in every moment. You see us in our circumstances, and you love us. Lord, I, 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 just, I ask and I pray that if anyone here is just thinking about that living water still, and wants to experience and taste and be quenched by your living water, Lord, I pray that their spirit would say yes to you today and that you would be meeting them in this place, in this space, Lord. And Lord, I pray for all of us to be filled with your boldness, to be filled with your love, to be filled with uh, just so much joy that we radiate that to every single person that we encounter, Lord and that we would invite them to come and see Jesus, the hope of the world. Thank you so much, Lord, for your words, for your power, for who you are. Continue to be moving in our hearts as we worship today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.